Hey everyone, welcome back to Purple Noon the Podcast with me, Stephanie Conti, and the Ram to my Don, Savannah Lanelse. Hello. Now, if you didn't understand the reference, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, it's a little bit more obscure. If you didn't know, we're going to be talking about Parasite today, finally. I'm excited. This is the one where people be like, review Parasite. I'm like, okay, I'll get to it. So I watched the movie for the first time. I had no idea what it's about. And so I'm very excited to talk about it. But we're going to do a little Parasite trivia real quick. Are you ready, Savannah? I'm excited, of course. Okay. So one of the questions. Mm -hmm. So now if you get it right. We'll move on to the next. If you don't get it right, we commence the review. Are you ready? All right, let's do it. What is Ramdon? I see it in my head. Do I know the recipe exactly? No. Can I can I just describe what I think it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say whatever you think. So it's like a type of ramen. Uh, in the movie, there's a scene where she has to cook it very quickly. And there's like, I want to say like chunks of steak in it. Um, there's no like broth, if I'm correct. I this is just based off what I saw in the film. Um, there's something I'm forgetting. Give me a second. Give me a second. It's okay. It's okay. You're on. The, you're on the right track. Oh, uh, trying to think. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's noodles. <laughs> Um, there's gotta be some kind of vegetable in it. Uh, I'm gonna say it's, it looked spicy. <laughs> and, uh. Anything else you would like to add? Beef. Oh, you boil it. Um, okay. Well, yeah, it's some sort of ramen, but spicy with, with steak chunks in it. So. You're on the right track, but not correctly. Ramdan doesn't technically exist. It is a made-up name. Because um, the director, he believed that using the actual name, I think it's pronounced uh, Jabagori. Jabagori? Hmm. But he thought that would be too hard for uh, Americans to understand. So he changed it to Ramdan when I'm, writing the, the English translation. And I pretty much thought, Ramdan, yeah. Ramdan is a, a mash between ramen and udon. And pretty much it is a, a you are right, it is a type of a ramen dish. Um, but what makes it so upscale and fancy is because the sirloin that is added to it, um, it can be made into like one of the most expensive meals ever. Because depending on, like, the type of sirloin that you add, it can be, like, the most expensive beef beef in the world. Oof. I mean, okay, I always thought is – maybe this is ignorant of me, but, like, I thought maybe that's what it's called in Korea because I know it's ramen in Japan. So I was just like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. but I didn't know he made it up. That's, that's very interesting. Good okay, back. and then the second question would be – I mean, you kind of got that half right, but I think right, this is also quite cool for everyone to know. Um what is so unique about the house in Parasite? If I'm correct, didn't they build it? 
Yes. So okay. this house was purely constructed for the film. So as much as it looks like a real house, like any other film set, you walk off and it's kind of just like big empty rooms and just, you know, a lot of nothing, a lot of like sound stages and stuff like that. So that um, the whole entire house was built for the sake of that film, which I think is pretty cool. And I think um, I don't think they were able to save the house. I think they oh. had to tear it down. It was gorgeous. that's usually what they do with pop up build sets. I mean, it was stunning. That's like a dream home. So I know. I I just can't imagine how much it would have cost to like make the house. Right. I mm-hmm. it's worth it, but that's crazy. Those are some cool facts. Thanks. I didn't know the wrong one. IMDb. I was yeah. I was like because as soon as they put because I love ramen and yeah. I love anything noodles. So as soon as they put it on the screen, I was like, ooh, I'm going to get my yakisoba out and eat my uh, Korean barbecue flavor yakisoba. But (laughs) I was like, what is that? And so when I was looking up at the trivia, it was like, oh, really doesn't exist under Ramdom. But yeah, so it's very, very fancy ramen. I mean, if if we both love ramen, so at one point we're going to have to ruin Tampopo. Which, oh my god, I can't watch. I will have to order, like, my bank account is going to take a hit because I'm going to have to DoorDash some. uh, I I love ramen. I'm going to have to get the real deal, not the the little Maruchan packs. You know what I miss? This is a Florida thing, but Lucky's Market, they have the best ramen. R.I.P. Lucky's Market. Thank you for serving us (laughs) cheap and good ramen that just hit right. R.I.P. Luckies. Very good. We're very sad you're gone. We're very sad. It's like, come on, you brought you brought ramen to us so that way we didn't have to drive over half an hour into Orlando just to get the goods. Yes. So R.I.P. Uh, R.I.P. Luckies, you're in our hearts forever. <laughs> All right. Shall we get to the reviews? Yeah. So okay, I've seen this movie six times. I saw it the first time I saw it. <laughs> I have the stub. November 7, 2019. So, wow. I obviously have Dedicated. a very I have a very clear opinion on the movie. So, Stephanie, it's your it's your first time seeing it yesterday. What let me let me let me see what you think about it. Tell all our so the best, Yes, and I'm I'm happy we are talking about this before we get into like the synopsis or anything cuz I deprive myself of knowing the synopsis of knowing anything about Mm -hmm. it i only know that it was a south korean film that was directed by bong joon ho so i was i was completely blind to it so when i watched it i had no idea what it was going to be about it was not what i was expecting but in the best way possible yeah fantastic film it is on hulu go watch it like it like seriously like it is so like you know what? The only film I can really compare it to, like in terms of drama, is like White. You know, White by Krzysztof Kieslowski. I can see what you're saying because the plot is so unexpected. The never-ending drama that keeps going and yeah. going and going, but doesn't go cheesy and just it's one shock after the other is fantastic. So if you haven't seen it yet, highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's one of those movies that you never forget, and I will say it's one of those movies that kind of. You know, it changes the way you look at film. I, I remember when I saw it in the theaters and I only knew it was kind of I was on the same boat as you. I only knew it was about a family and I heard a lot of things about it at that point. So I'm like, OK, like it's a rainy day. I'm going to go just watch the South Korean movie. And in the middle of the movie, I was just like, 
this is amazing. And I mm-hmm. knew it was going to win every single award in the middle of the film. Yeah. Like, it, it is just so smart. So if you haven't seen it, without a doubt, go see it. And also what I think is so great about this film is it is opening doors for at least um, us Americans, I'll say. We, and especially you and me, we, we know that we don't have a lot of people who watch foreign language films. Yeah. And as many times as we tell them, like, it's worth it, though. Go watch it, especially these films. I'm hoping Parasite opens the door for people to explore foreign films. Absolutely. Yeah, because you guys are missing a lot. If And I understand the whole, like, well, you know, subtitles and, okay, whatever. But I think if you'd watch this movie and... It's definitely going to change your perspective on that. And hopefully, like Stephanie says, you explore that world a little bit more because some of the best movies ever made are foreign films, without a doubt. Absolutely. So now that you know it, go watch it. And if you have seen it yet, then stick around for our review. So the plot is uh, a greed and class of discrimination threatened the newly formed symbiotic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kim clan. Now, I normally would go through the names of the actors and like list the most notable actor- actors. I tried looking up the pronunciation of all the actors and I could not find anything to help me. So for the sake of not butchering every name on there, I'm just going to say <laughs> that it's a beautiful cast with a director named Bong Joo-ho. Um, and I still could be pronouncing that wrong, but I'm trying my best. Um, so yeah, so uh, Savannah, let's talk about... I guess you could say, let's talk about characters. Let's talk about characters first. Okay, which one what? do you want to talk about first? Who are we starting Ooh. with? Let, I think we should go family by family. Let's talk about the Kim family. Okay. So the Kim family was a family that lived pretty much in the basement of this building. So what did you think of the Kim family, their introduction, their transformation, things like that? So, um, Oh, I'm sorry. My mind just went blank a second. <laughs> Don't know why. So um, the Kim family, I think they, off the bat, you could see they're very smart. Just a very smart group of people. Um, there's a scene in the beginning where they're sort of, uh, they they were putting together, I think it was pizza boxes, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the person they worked for, they were trying to like, be like, these suck, like, don't, and they sort of smooth their way into being like, well, you know, like, maybe give us this much money and this much money. So in the beginning, you can see they're a very smart group of people, but they don't have the best situation. They sort of live, you know, very, they're, they're poor. So, um, I, I love them though. They are the heart of the film for sure. Um, as a family, you can see, and I, I think we'll talk about this later, but there's sort of a dynamic that's different from when you see the Park family. And I like the parallel a lot. Um, what did you think? So I totally agree. I do think they are the heart of the entire film. And I want to say notably, one of the most prolific characters within the Kim family is the tutor that goes by Mr. Kevin. So the, the young, the brother, the brother yeah. of the family, mm-hmm. he, cause I, I loved his transformation cause he went from not doing anything to help his family to then getting the courage to go out and 
to find something and he's granted with this opportunity from a friend to tutor a rich family. And it's him who kind of starts this entire journey and for the family and leads them into a better life. So I, I really enjoy his character. Like what ended up for him, I guess you could say like he single-handedly was able to web every single family member intertwined with this rich family Mm -hmm. And it was all done, not for greed, but for the sake of, like, we need to move on. Like, we need to do something. And, like, all of them did, like, their jobs. Like, they, it wasn't like, oh, they were just conning their way through job. Now, um, um, Kim, Mr. Kim, he knew his stuff. It was the sister who kind of faked it, but she was still into art. So... She still helped him. I was most surprised by her character, though. Like, when she, like, straightened the little boy up, Song, when she was just, like, and, like, he was acting fine. Like, I was like, what is going on? Oh, okay. Well, I think I wanted to do step back a little bit because I think that also has a point to it, what you're saying about the sister. I think that's a big chunk of the film. And I honestly think she's one of the stars of the movie, personally. But mm-hmm. one of the things I like about the brother character – I guess his storyline is in the beginning, his his friend says, hey, I'm going to study abroad. I need to find a replacement for me to be a tutor. And I found it really interesting that the reason he picked um, the brother was because he was poor. And he goes, mm-hmm. yeah, I can't trust any of my college friends with um, the girl I tutor because he likes the girl he tutors. Um, yeah. Crush on her. And I just think that tells you what you need to like see off the bat of this movie that they that is the first time you see them being treated sort of less than and i think that's a great way to introduce it nonchalantly in the film like yeah Mm -hmm. like you are you're less than my college friends like i don't have to worry about you she wouldn't be interested in you so why don't you go help me so i just wanted to point that out because i feel like it's a really really interesting what subtle point of the movie um but yeah, I really like that sort of beginning arch for him. And then with the sister, I think she's the most intelligent one out of all of them because, you know, she makes the forgeries and she she sort of kind of not cons because like you said, they do their job and they do it well, surprisingly. But she does like sort of fake it till she makes it about being yeah. an art therapist. And the reason I think that that kid was just so drawn to her and just listen to what he, uh, she said, I don't think the kid was disciplined at all. Like, I don't think anybody talked yeah. to the kid. So I feel like that probably had a lot to do with it. But um, yeah, those two characters were definitely... And there's one more that's the start of the show for me. It's it's the dad. What did you think of the yeah. dad? The dad, for sure. The dad is... Despite not, I I liked his transformation because he goes from not the leader of the family to the leader of the family. Yeah. Like about, I want to say a little bit past midway of the film. He goes into, and I say the leader of the family because he then, he, he is, he takes the role of a dad after a certain point. Like, you know, like the very take charge kind of dad, like I'll handle the situation type of deal. Mm. Um. Well, I really enjoyed his. Uh, I enjoyed his character. I enjoyed his wife's, like his wife, that character too. Um, the entire Kim Fla- Kim family, I thought was constructed beautifully because I appreciate the fact that despite them being poor, 
they didn't overdo the whole theme of being poor. Like, you know, like they didn't put dirt on their faces. They didn't do something like anything too drastic. At least like, I don't know why I'm thinking of like, you know, those old, like older films that like really made some, you know, um, characters like this in this situation just look completely dirty and stuff. Like, I, I like how it shows that, you know, poor is not just not having enough. It could just be barely, barely making it, which yeah. was what that family was doing. And I liked that representation um, that they picked. I also thought the, the their original home, that bottom basement apartment, yeah. was the best apartment they could have picked because just the setup of everything. It wasn't like at, at the beginning, it wasn't like gross. It wasn't like dirty. It was just a weird setup for a house. Yeah, like, yeah. The, the toilet, toilet past <laughs> the shower, like that was weird. Um. Yeah, no, I agree. I think they did a good job with where they pick they live, like where they lived, um, especially when the scene at the end comes and they're really in trouble. But at the yeah. end of the day, I think the one theme that you can get from this family is they are just trying to survive. And that is why they make the moves they do towards, you know, the middle and the end, because I don't think it's about, I mean, yeah, they con the richer family, but you know, like, like you said, like they're barely making it. And I think it was more about like, okay, we need to get, we need to start crawling our way out of the situation that we are in. So Yes, I love them. Um, the dad is actually the dad character. I, I don't want to mispronounce his name, but he's in a lot of this director's films. And I, I want to say he's a fantastic actor. I don't think he gets enough credit. Yes. And I think he absolutely. should have absolutely been nominated. Um, hopefully we'll see more foreign um, actors nominated in our awards. So, yeah, I just want to say he's His name in the role was Mr. Kim. So you can also refer to him as Mr. Kid as uh, Kim as well as that. I remember they called him that in like the English translation of it. Okay, Mr. Thanks thanks for that. Mr. Kim. Yeah, um, yeah but they were I, I will say almost everybody in this movie was a very good actor. Like all the performances were very believable and I I have nothing bad to say about the acting at all. Yeah. The only thing I will say that was kind of like this, for me, a downfall of a character, like just on their own, not because of any scene or anything, was um, Mr. Kevin's love affair with this young girl. I was a little shocked at the fact that they put this tutor, you know, this tutor figure with someone who is supposed to be in a sophomore. Yeah, it's like 16. And I believe they said that the Mr. Kevin was also a military veteran. Did I get that right? He was also a military veteran and that's why he knew um English well. I think you might be right. I don't remember that detail exactly, but that sounds like something that was in So the he has to be at least at this point in his mid 20s. And he's here and I think sophomore year the average age is like 15, 16? I think he has to be late college age because his friend, I think his friend was like a junior or a senior. So he has to be around our age. So I'm going to say like 23, which is still not appropriate at all, may I add. No, so I was a little shocked that they allowed this, for most part of the film, they allowed the romance to bloom. Um, But I understood why it was 
a concept because there, you know, there's a point in the film where um, the father character, Mr. Kim, he goes, oh, you can, you can marry her and this house will be ours. Like, so I can understand that push, but I was still a little shocked that they still added this in there. I was like, no, this is why you're going to get bad luck. No, you should be <laughs> kissing young girls. I, I, yeah, I can see why that would be like, I, I did feel weird about it too. I was just like, okay, well that's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, right. It was for the dynamic of like, oh, like, and I feel like because of that romance, it was hinting at the fact that at some point this also had to end. I, I feel like that because, um, what happens and they mentioned in the movie like okay well we're gonna have to hire people to be your parents because like we're not your parents if if they have to meet your family at some point so i feel like yeah. the film was hinting at even if they got away with it even if like they end up like really wanting to get married and all this stuff like at some the point, con would have continued for years and at some point i do feel like you can't keep that up forever no. so like yeah but okay we can agree that the uh, the Kim family is outstanding. They're smart. They're cunning. What do we think of the Park family? So with the Park family, I like how they were written. I don't necessarily like them as characters because I thought like, you know, as said by the ending, they are not nice people. They're very ignorant people shattered by wealth. And in the end, that ends up playing a huge, huge role. Um, That's great. That was, nice great first, but that was really a good you. comment. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. But they, I liked the way they were written because I liked their sense of that wealth. Like you had the Kim family that was every dime counted they had to continue everything everything of their next move which is why the park family was so easy like it, they were so gullible because they didn't have to worry about that yeah they had pretty much a, a blank mind in terms of that worry so i like that dynamic that was written for the park character to create that dynamic i should say and i did like the family members i did like the way they were written um it sucks too because I I did I was starting to grow onto the the dad character of the Park family. Do you remember what his name was? The, what the, what name they gave him in the film? No, um, I can't recall. Mr. Park. I, I don't I, know. I, it was a name. Yeah, okay, Mr. Park. I think they called him. Like at least one of them called him. So we'll just call him Mr. Park. But he had um, a name. You're right. I just don't. I can't. Recall. I can't remember what the American version was, but. Um, I, I was enjoying Mr. Park. I like how he was a little bit more intuitive. He was a little bit more in touch with reality than his wife. But in the end, because I think both the wife and the husband represent two sides of enormous yeah. wealth. One is the, I don't understand. That's why I have the blind eye. And the other is, I choose to have the blind eye. So I thought it was a good representation in terms of the evil side of wealth. What did you think, Savannah? That's a very good. Um, that was really good. Wow. Thank you. Um, I don't know if I have something as good as that, but like I agree. I feel like you kind of see that the his wife, sort of the mom character of the parks, she's very naive and she's very just in a bubble. 
and she's, you know, sort of a bubble brain and it's not that she's a bad person and you, you kind of see that she's not this like malicious person. She's not this, like, she just genuinely doesn't know. Like, and she genuinely doesn't well, but she's, she's a little bit ignorant is the only word that's coming to my mind. She means well in terms of her family and her kids, but she doesn't have the inside nor the empathy to reach out to others and to help others and, I, and I to think, look at yeah. the like what they would consider the help as normal human beings. And I think you see that a lot in the film when, you know, they're on their way home and she's like, we'll be home in seven minutes. Can you cook us a full ramen meal? Have it ready. Or like, oh, it's, it's we're having an impromptu birthday. Come, whatever you're doing, who cares? Just come and be a part of it. Like they are not looked as, sort of people with their own lives. And even though like there's a lot of scenes in the movie where the mom does confide in some of the, the Kim family and she does seem like part of her, you know, they're not treated badly, not treated without respect, but they are seen as just their help. Like you work for us. So that's it. Yeah. And, and I, think, that. I think one of like the little hidden I'll say, um, and it, it, I, I thought at first it was hidden, was when they are at the birthday party and nonstop all you hear is the, the Park family telling, you know, the Kim family while they're working and stuff like, don't worry, you'll be paid for this. And I think that's, although that's kind of like, oh, that's sweet that, you know, that they're getting paid. I think it just kind of shows like, yeah, you're not here as a friend. You're here yeah. as a worker. Yeah, exactly. And I again, I think you see that throughout the film. Um, even with Mr. Park, you know, there's a lot of comments he makes about like, you know, th- the dad character, Mr. Kim. He's just like, you know, he almost crosses the line as an employee, but I like him. And he's very quick to say, hey, look at the road. Look at the road. Like, look where you're going and be yeah. my driver. And they're they're sort of like they're friendly up to a point with them. And you can see exactly. that. Exactly. And like with the whole, like, like you said, like he, he gets, uh, he almost crosses the line, but never in reality, that line is friendship. He almost keeps crossing that line into making a more personal connection. And here you have Mr. Park going, nope, I don't want that. And that just kind of shows like, I don't know, like if I was in that, like if I had the amount of wealth that the, the Park family was portrayed to have in this movie, I just couldn't see myself dissecting people like that so that was and i I just think really good insight i just think that's their world though i feel like nothing and i think you see that these characters not characters but these people are sort of disposable in their lives when they fire their housekeeper that's been with them since forever and granted like in the movie like they believe she's very sick but they just throw her out like literally just throw her out and like, I'm sorry, you can't work here anymore. Don't even, I don't think they'd try to get her help if they thought she was sick or whatever it was. And you yeah. kind of see them like, that's kind of when I saw that they don't really care at all. And I like how they're easily swayed when it comes like, like for example, with um, with um, the Park family firing their longtime aide. I think it's, one of the good points is of, of this family is that whenever like Mr. Mr. Um, 
Kim leans in and says something. It's so, they are so easily swayed, like swayed to a decision based on how their appearance is. Like they would look bad if they had a driver who, like I could understand the whole the driver has sex in the car type of thing. I could understand maybe firing someone for that. Explain that too. So basically what happens is, um, the brother comes in as the tutor and then he brings the sister in because the other, the, uh, the park's son does need a therapist and the daughter, I mean, Jessica, Jessica is her name. Jessica gets this idea of sort of getting the driver fired. So she leaves her underwear in the car and that kind of this domino effect happens. So now the son is in, the sister is in, the yeah. dad so is in. So then the dad in. takes over as the driver, and then the dad gets the housekeeper fired and then puts his ro- wife into the role. So that is how they interweb each other in terms of like a bl- – like because there's many different details that, sh- you know, go through everything. But that is pretty much how the family replaces all their current – like their former workers. But I like how there's a sense like, – like I said, I understand them – firing the 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 driver that had sex in the car that is yeah i could see that happening in real life but what i enjoyed was seeing how easily manipulated the park family could be just based off the fact that let's say them having a housekeeper with tb or a housekeeper that is sick could make them look down upon by their community and how everything was simply driven by that, like keeping up a wealthy, rich appearance. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you're right. I think that's definitely what the motivation was there. And, and at first you kind of think, Oh yeah, she doesn't want her kids to get sick. But again, she throws out this woman that has been with them since they got the house. So we're talking about years and, doesn't offer help, doesn't say, hey, like maybe you should go get better or go do something and then come back. She just lets her go. Like, yeah, you can't work here anymore. So I think you're right. It's all about appearances. Because even if she did mm-hmm. come back, like everybody would know at that point that she was sick. Yeah. So I, I thought both families at the end of the day are brilliantly written. Now, I think we got to talk about the cons the cons and the whole interwebbing. What did you think on how that that plot point was written? When when they were getting rid of everybody? Yeah, like all the cons that they did to replace their former workers with oh. this the Kim family. Okay, we're talking about the like the Parks cons or the Kim's cons? The Kim's cons. Ah, okay, so, so what they did to get their jobs. May I just say the scene where um Jessica, I think, is plotting like what she does is she takes a peach, which is the old housekeeper is allergic to, and she puts it or whatever um, near her, puts it on her. I think that takes the fuzz and puts it on the back of her neck. Takes skins the peach fuzz and puts it on the back of her neck. That was a gorgeous scene. I just want to say that was a gorgeous sequence. Um, But I think the cons is it's a very it's almost parallel to what the parks were doing in terms of just getting rid of people. Um, Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot of thought about what would happen to the driver and the housekeeper, which is interesting because they're all sort of in the same pool to where like, I assume that, that you will see the housekeeper definitely needs it, but the driver also, these people do need their jobs. 
And, you know, there is a little like point where they're like, oh, you think they're okay, right? Like where they kind of just tell each other they're okay. And Jessica's like, I don't care. I think someone in the family is just like, I don't care. You got the job. You needed the job. We needed this job. And you kind of see like, yes, it's survival, but now it's to the point where it's like, are we borderline in greed? Are we selfish people? So I, I think the story gives you a decision to make about the family too. Is this survival or are they sort of Is succumbing to the, to the greed? Yeah. What do you think? So I think I do believe, and this, I, I'm happy we're, we're talking about this because I do believe that there is something a little bit supernatural about this. And what I think, I think it's the stone that they get. Yeah, the symbolism. The reason, so at least for me, what I liked about the stone is that this stone was known to be expensive and very wealthy. But at the end of the day, when you put the stone in a creek with all the other rocks, it just looks like a rock. And I thought that was, I guess you could say symbolism for how this, the Kim family thought that, you know, they get this sense of courage to go and make money. And they think at some point after all of their cons, they do think that they are above everyone else. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's only, it's only granted, especially with the girl, Jessica saying, I don't care. So I think when they get to that point of, I don't care, we're above everything. I think it's a great symbolism for just showing like, no, at the end of the day, you're just a rock that'll look in the river and they are reduced back to what they were. And that's, I believe that's how those rocks are formed is those rocks are valuable because water cuts them in a certain way. And I think that's also symbolism of how the Kim family was so beautiful, but they had been cut and they had been reduced to almost nothing first before becoming beautiful. Oof, that was fantastic. <laughs> Everybody quote Thanks. that criterion, quote her now. No, that's really <laughs> awesome. I, I knew, like, obviously the rock is the one, the first thing that is brought into the film uh, before the uh, Kims get involved with the parks. And the rock has a lot to do with the ending of the film as well. We'll get into that. But that was great. Great imagery Thanks. there, Steph. Thanks. 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 Um, I think it's time we get into the climax of the movie and why this movie is absolutely amazing. So I think Parasite easily can be said to have a double meaning. You know, at first when you're watching it, you're thinking, oh yeah, this family, they're interweaving everything. They're parasites, right? Then no, you get the OG Parasite. Wait, I have a question. I do have a question for you about this. Who are the real parasites? The Parks or the Kims? I think in this scenario that I think in their own way, the the Park family is a parasite, but in terms of the relationship, because, and even so, even the, the relationship between the Kim and the, the Park family is symbiotic, which is a type of parasite that you can have, like a symbiosis relationship. So yeah, I think in I, I this- I think it's meant I, to look at both because I think- you Yeah, know, I think all of them are parasites, whether it's, you know, the, the maid, which we will discuss her character and her history, whether it's the Kim family or the- I think they're different types of parasites. I think the Kim family is symbiotic because they provide some benefit to the family. Whereas the family is the type of parasite that doesn't benefit. It's kind of like, um, 
you know, the little fish that like stick onto a whale's back and they just eat all the algae that, that come through. I, you know, I think they do benefit. And I'm going to, the parks, because think about it. They're living pretty much off of these people in the sense that they have to do nothing, you know? And yes, they're paying them and all that Absolutely. And that's why I'm saying that they are a parasite to the Kim family. Yeah. Because it's this type of like, you got what you needed from the host and you abandoned it, which is what is shown in the ending. So there's different types of parasites and I think all of them represent a different type. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what the film is trying to tell us in a way. Um, it's sort of this codependent relationship, you know? But okay, we need yes. to get into the climax of the movie and why this housekeeper is such a big part of the film. So already, like, the film start was by the midway point, after the family had done their all, all their cons, it was written beautifully. This film manages to keep on a track that has you guessing, and you will not know. Like, I had no idea how this film was going to end. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely, I think, a old way of storytelling, but reinvented. Usually an old way of storytelling is drama after drama after drama after drama. At least that's why I'm associating with, like, Kieslowski's White. But this one kind of it gives a new taste to that type of drama heavy movie. So what ends up happening in this film is that it is revealed that the maid is herself like a parasite and where she took advantage of the park family by keeping her husband in this cellar. And I believe was living in like this cellar, which used to be a bunker for usually they put like underground bunkers to protect from like, you know, North Korean attacks and stuff like that. So you had like this bunker place that the, that the Park family didn't even know about. Mm-hmm. And she's keeping her husband in there. And when she's there, she's like, oh, I, I had, she comes, uh, visits while, um, the, the family is out of town when the Park family's out of town and the Kim family is kind of like hijacking the house, drinking their wine, all stuff like that. And it's this creepy, creepy shock. Because at first, I had no idea what this woman was doing. I was like, she's going to go in the basement. She's going to find something. And she's going to kill her. But no, that's not what happens. She moves this big furniture piece out of the way. Goes into the bunker, the secret bunker. And reveals that her weird, I'm just going to say weird husband is there. He's (laughs) weird from the get-go. Didn't like him. Well, he was in it for years. Like years. years. He's been down there forever. Um, And it's really funny because when the mother, the the new housekeeper sees her, she's like, what the hell? And she starts calling the police and the old housekeeper's like, girlfriend, we're in this together. Girl, please, please, I'll give you money. Um, and this is where they mess up. This is where everything goes yeah. downhill very quickly. Where everything goes to the shitter is where the family, so the rest of the family members, at this point, the maid only believes that the other maid, that um, Mrs. Kim, is there. So when they're peeping, like when the other, rest of the family is kind of like, the rest of the Kim family is kind of peeping, trying to listen what this maid has to say, they trip and fall and expose themselves to her. And the, the son goes, ah, dad, my, my leg, my leg. And the housekeeper at this time already knew all of them yeah, as different individuals. Then she made the connection and realized that they were a family that kind of segued their in and lied and conned. 
And now she has the upper hand because she takes a photo of the Kim family and threatens to send it to the Park family. Especially because the video says um, Mr. Kevin saying dad. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, a whole fight breaks out. I mean, before that, the the couple, the the guy in the bunker and the old maid sort of go upstairs and they're hanging out and they have the, I believe the the Kim family, they're not tied up, but they're in a corner. And they recount their days of when she worked there and he would come upstairs and they would dance and, you know, they would be in the sunlight per se. And then uh, everything happens very quickly. They sort of attack each other. Um, They tie up the couple and basically they bring them downstairs. But I believe, I think the, at some point, the old house, the old maid gets like knocked out and thrown down the steps at the last minute. Yeah, And she Mm -hmm. eventually dies. And so this, her husband is just down there with her dead body. And yeah, yeah and he's crazy. And he's already crazy to begin with because he's been down there forever. So now he's Yo, as soon here. as I like he was introduced, I didn't like the way he was eating but a banana. Like I'm, <laughs> I know he was starving and stuff, but the minute they showed him eating a banana, I was like, I have a bad feeling about this guy because it, it didn't look right. Weird. It just looked very animalistic. Like it looked like a monkey peeling a banana and eat it. It didn't look like a human. So I was like, ooh, I already got bad vibes. But that. That shock, that realization, what I thought was so great about that scene was like, you're wondering like, what is going on? And then finally the old maid, she opens up and she starts screaming. She's like, darling, darling, are you here? Are you alive? And it's like, was she keeping someone in the basement? Like, it's yeah. just that that stark realization that's like, holy crap, what is going on? Like, and it he is, was in the basement it, because he loaned, he like owed a lot of money to people and apparently they're still out to get him. So she hid him down there. Um, and yeah. he would do this weird thing, this Morris code thing to where he would like bang his head on a light switch. And in Morris code, it would say, thank you, Mr. Park. And I think, I believe the dad asked him, he's like, why do you do that? And he was just like, oh, I have to thank Mr. Park for for having me here, for being my host or something, something weird. And it kind of sets the tone for how this guy's mental state is in the movie. Yeah. Um, So then there's a lot of deceiving in terms of not only trying to, because the Park family, they show up early from their camping trip. So there's a lot of deceiving, a lot of action done to- Round off <laughs> to not only get the the family out, the Kim family, but to also keep the old maid and her the old housemaid and her husband down where they were. So you know they they pretty much tie up the husband, they knock him out, and the wife crawls down the stairs. The wife who was the old maid yeah. who was knocked out, and she, that's when she says, "I have a concussion," and that's when he starts screaming because he knows that she's going to die there. And they lock the the door and they take off the little little crank to open the door from the other side. Mm -hmm. So they remove it. So that way there's no way that this family can get out. For a second, I thought they were just going to leave the people there, but they couldn't. And um, what you have is like the next day there's a party and they're at this party knowing like- I mean, theoretically speaking, they could have. Theoretically speaking- like they could have them there. Yeah. I mean, how would they have gotten out? And she was dead to begin with. So, I mean, 
because I was just thinking like, okay, they're going to believe a crazy man over yeah family so but i don't I know thought they were gonna leave him there but i i, I think also if the, he just left them left them there we would have known that the character like, that the kim family was not despite in the beginning them doing everything to benefit themselves and to just leave a better life that it would have automatically turned them as bad people and i think it was eating the characters like you can tell like a lot of things change after they they accidentally kill this woman and they leave the man in the basement like there is a sense of like a switch happening um, within the characters, within the dynamic. And, you know, they're not, you kind of see like, they're not horrible people. Like they, this is eating them alive. Um, yeah. So I think that that's when it gets to the flood scene in their home and they lose everything, but they take the rock. That is the one thing I think he saves is that, yeah, so, rock like egg. they take like little things, but like that they can salvage, like salvage, like um, the mother used to play, um, she used to be like not an Olympic athlete, but she used to do like javelin. I forgot the sport, what a door discus. I forgot which one it was, but they take like her, her things, stuff like that actually means to them that and the rock. Um, and so let, let's talk about before we get into the end end. Let's. What did you think of this addition of the maid character and her crazy husband? I loved the twist because you could have easily just made this movie about the two families. Easily. You could have, you didn't have to add that. But I yeah. think it, it talks about a deeper level of poverty and desperation in these people. And it, it sort of, you kind of see a parallel to the Kim family as well. And I think that's what the maid represented that, you know, there were even more parasites out there, tech, uh, quote unquote. So, yeah. and I think it was also a good representation that, you, like I said, the Kim family was just barely surviving. Then you had the the farmer maid and her husband in the basement, where it's like they have nothing, absolutely nothing. And it was a life threatening situation. Like I'm pretty sure she said, like if if he comes out, like they'll still kill him. So they're even in a more desperate situation than the Kims were. And I think that that's what the point of their characters are. And I think it sort of that whole them accidentally killing the mate, even though it was an accident, it still shows you how far these people are going to cover their tracks to have the life they want, you know, because they could have easily when she found out about them, they could have been like, you know what? We can't do this. This is up. Let's just confess. Let's just whatever. But they didn't do that. They accidentally killed her and then threw him in the basement as well. So I think it adds a level of like, we are still surviving no matter what. And I, I really appreciated that a lot. Mm-hmm. Now the end. The end was probably, even with that scene, the ending was still probably the most surprising. Um, Mr. Kevin, Mr. Kevin, he ends up going down while there's a party out. I think he ends up going down and he brings the rock. He brings this rock to them. And I think he knew, like, we're done with this rock. You can have it. Hopefully, it'll bring you wealth. Um, And also kind of like, we don't deserve it. We were making buy here. You are struggling (laughs) to no end. So he brings it down. And he sees, um, you know, the dead maid's body. And then from behind, the husband, the dead maid's husband, brings this weird like makeshift garrot wire garret wire garrot wire however you pronounce it where and that was like 
I was like, what is that? Because he just looped it around his neck, cinched it, and just dragged him across the floor. And the most jaw-dropping part is when um, Mr. Kevin tries crawling back up the stairs to run. And this, what, what do we even call him? I keep referring to him as the maid's husband. Do you remember what his name was, what they I, called him? I don't I, I don't can't remember. remember if they gave him a name. I don't remember. But, um, we could just say the man in the basement. The man in the basement. So the man in the basement comes out and just takes this rock and bashes him on the head twice. And he is bleeding to no end. Then the man from the basement grabs a knife, goes to the party, stabs the sister, Rebecca, then tries okay, to Jessica. stab other people. Jessica. Uh, Jessica, did I say Rebecca? Jessica. Yeah, it's okay. So, but I think before um, that, um, Mr. Kim and Mr. Parker are having a conversation, and Mr. Kim is very dazed out. And I, do you remember what he says to Mr. Park? They had a very intense conversation. I re- that was a scene where he was like, you know you're being paid for this, right? He's just like, like this is I, a I can't day. remember what Mr. Kim said to stark up the argument or the, the talk conversation. Yeah, he was just like, this is a work day. You need to get it together. Because like, I think he did cross the line. He said something to cross the line. And you can see Mr. Kim is just very, very heavy. And then he sees his daughter get stabbed. Completely yeah. stabbed. Um, and then I believe uh, his the Mr. Parks, uh, his boy, his little boy faints and he picks yeah, up his faints son and, and has a seizure, he picks up his son and he doesn't even acknowledge Jessica. He kind of just looks that way and says, Mr. Kim, we have to go. We have to go. Let's go. Let's go. And, and him and I believe his wife, Mr. Kim and Mrs. Kim are like trying to stop the bleeding. They're trying to help Jessica. And Mr. Park does not care. He's just like, let's go. Let's go. Mr. Park and Mrs. Park are like, no, we got to take our son to the hospital to a point where Mr. Kim throws the, the little key fob to the car door mm-hmm. and uh, it gets rollover and stuff like that. And even still, like Mr. Kim has this realization that they don't care about us. And it's this, and it's just so hard. Like he's seeing like his his daughter die before him, his wife struggling to fight off this assailant, which I think she ends up stabbing him, right? I think so. I think it's her yeah, that I ends up stabbing him. She stabs him, but then Mr. Kim stabs Mr. Park. Insane scene. And it was just in that moment, he just lost it. Because here his daughter is dying. He sees his son being carried on the shoulders of his girlfriend. Remember, because he was bleeding. Oh, yeah. And his girlfriend was just carrying him. Uh, which, by the way, strong girl. <laughs> strong girl at that point. I was like, she's deadlifting at least 140 right there. Good job, girl. But it's, the girlfriend is running with the boyfriend. And then it's just like in, like the wife is there. And it's kind of just like this realization like, he has lost everything and will lose everything because Mr. Park doesn't care. Yeah. Like he has the power to call an ambulance. He has the power to help them. And of course, this incident happened on their property. Normally, in, ter- in terms of a situation like this, Mr. Park might have been able to pay off any like the brain surgeries and, you know, possibly save Jessica's life. But no, Mr. Park just takes his wife and his, and his son and their daughter away and they just try to go away and that's when mr kim comes in with the knife and stabs mr park and i believe mr park does die right yes i think he dies i think he i think that was a 
I think we see it in a newsreel or a newspaper that he passes away from it. Yes. And then to wrap up the the last bit of the ending, the sister Jessica dies. The brother, Mr. Kevin, and the mom live. And the father, Mr. Kim, runs away. And so towards the end of the film, the which, by the way, fantastic ending. But um, Mr. Kevin goes back to the house and sees someone doing Morse code. And the Morse code is a message from his father saying, I, you know, explaining, I ran in here. Um, I sneak up into the building cause there's new owners. I sneak up and grab food from them whenever I need and explains this and pretty much is like, I'm here. Don't try to get me. I will come out eventually when I can. And then there's this kind of like flash forward into the future where the son says, I will buy the house. And it's so beautifully done. The way everything, there's a bunch of beautiful scenes in here, but the way that this scene was done was you see the son after college, he becomes rich and he buys this house and he explains it where he's like, me and mom will be in the yard and you will come out and you will greet us. Which I thought was like this beautiful way of like, kind of like come out when you're ready type of deal. And I was surprised. I'm like, why wouldn't they just, uh, if that was my dad, I would run in the basement and be like, yeah. like I would just <laughs> be screaming. But I loved how it was this beautiful, calm manner of, you know, and when you're ready, come outside and we'll be there. And then the, the basically, because I thought that's what happened. And then it sort of pans back to him, I believe in his, in the basement home where you first yeah writing writing. this letter writing this letter and it's snowing and for me the way i interpreted that is it's not going to happen like it's it's a beautiful dream and i think if we were made to believe that okay that's the future that's what that's what's going to happen he's going to make it it would have ended at the scene where he reunites with his father but i feel like the scene where he's still in his house and writing about it, it's so heartbreaking, but I feel like it's definite to like, it's its just not going to happen. It, it's a beautiful dream and that's it. And I interpreted that a little differently. I do think it does happen. And the reason why I think is because I want, I think it was to show not only the characters, but to us, like, cause these characters got in their jobs there, you know, these jobs that paid everything for them within a, a matter of days. And I think this just was going to show like, there's no more cheating. There's no more scamming. There's no more conning your way around this. You have to go about it the right way. And I think that's why they showed um, Kevin writing that and like kind of like accepting it. I think it was just him knowing like, I have to do things the right way. And I think that is what motivates him to do that. Interesting. Two different takes. Is there a... Did the director say anything? Because I've never looked up like what um, what he thought about the ending. I, I just interpreted that way because of the ending scene. Like I, the only reason I feel like that's not going to happen is because you pan back. To it went back to it. It would have just and ended I, at it if it was that way. I feel like they are sort of in this, it's a prison sentence for me at least, or a death penalty. The fact that he ended up in the basement um, and it's sort of, but I feel like that could be possible what you're saying too. So two very interesting interpretations, both very good. Um, but yeah, I think nonetheless, you know, they definitely learned their lesson 
and mm-hmm. they have to work hard. Overall, it is, I don't know what my parents are doing in the kitchen. I hear a lot of pots and pans, you know, just being thrown about the place. I don't know what's going on. So if you can hear that, I apologize. Um, but I do think this film deserved every award it won. It won uh, Best Picture at Cannes. It won Best Picture at the Oscars. I think it won some BAFTAs too. Um, but I do think it was deserved. And at first, I, I was hoping I wasn't going to have to say like, oh, this movie's overhyped. It's not. It, it deserves all the hype it gets because this film instantaneously just became a classic. What do you think like, about the, no going about the directing or slash director? I think it was very well done. I, I do like I I will admit I didn't care for Snowpiercer, but then again, I watched it years ago and I think I watched a bootleg copy and the film wasn't fully edited. So um that was the old me. But I did like Okja, which is Bong Joo Ho's other work. I did enjoy Okja. So I, still have to see I it. thought Parasite it's so good it's like for, i watched it with my parents and so time and time again we'll just go oh because that's what the main character does she just screams Ocha! so <laughs> while watching this movie i let a few Ocha's out into the air but i thought parasite was and i do like Ocha. Mm-hmm. parasite is a billion times better it's one of the best movies i've seen ever made and in terms of the directing i think it works i i wrote that there's a beautiful scene where and i love this this subtle transformation dealing with the drunken piss boy where you see this dude in the beginning like he's about to <laughs> oh yeah essentially on their windows and they're like stop him and the brother's like oh he's gonna just do it anyways and then towards the middle when they see this drunken guy again they you know they fight they, they start slashing water on him and stuff like that they just start fighting and that scene was done beautifully i also like the fact that the father meant to draw you know went to throw the water onto the, the pissing drunk but instead just c- completely hits his son and now he's now drenched in water <laughs> but i i thought that scene was done well um I love the space that the director was working with. And I appreciate, and I cannot stress this enough, I enjoy a good still picture. I, so many directors today are like, no, just put it on a rage. Just put it on my back. Like, put it on this, you know, the cameraman's back. I can't. I can't. I, I like a nice still frame. And I got that from Parasite. I got that very cinematic, them slow pulls, them, you know, still frames and i love that i think that is underrated a lot of people today will just just put it on the dude's back and just go about it no get a tripod do it right so (laughs) that's how i feel that's my personal opinion but i do think that the film was immaculately filmed and um i you know applaud uh bong joo ho not only for the directing but for envisioning the set yeah, because that just added to the masterpiece of this film, like the the sharp angles, the glass and everything. The architecture of this house was stunning and it made it so much easier, in my opinion, to film beautifully because you already had, you know, the seamless lines, the glass and the reflections and everything like that to create these beautiful pictures. I, I thought it was very, very well done. And b- probably by far my favorite end part of this entire film is that little ending where we see the father just kind of come out of this darkened basement and reunite with his family. That was my favorite, favorite scene. Yeah. Um, 
Nice. Okay. I feel like I learned a lot there about tripods and <laughs> putting the camera <laughs> on the back I, and whatnot. Like, I, I watch too many shows where I'll just be staring at it and I'm like, oh, this show's cool. And then I kind of just see like, it, I don't know why it reminds me, you know, like the, the old DVD players, how it had the logo bouncing from the corners. Mm-hmm. That's what I see when I see a shaky camera. I'm like, for the love of God. Because um, I think it cannot affect like when you are running or doing an action scene. Gotta use it. Don't do a, a tripod for an action scene. Right. But if you just have two people talking, I don't I don't want to go, you know, vertigo. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Please Makes sense. keep it still. Makes sense. Um, I think this movie is a good example of how we can all still be original in a time where everything seems like copy. Um and what I mean by that is, I'm not going to lie, there is a lack of originality in Hollywood, in my opinion. I haven't seen a lot of movies to where, like, it's a completely original plot, um, at least newer films, in my opinion. It, yeah. It's not People taken from anything said, else. Yeah. People have said that Parasite is, like, a comparison of two other South Korean films, but... I've also heard that despite that, like it has its similarities, but other than that, it still is on its own. Right. And I, and obviously I think in this day and age, like there's going to be a little bit of similarities, but you know, in a time where we're all doing remakes, when we're all doing, you know, Marvel films, there's nothing wrong with Marvel films, but you know what I mean. The second Hellboy that didn't even come out 10 years after the last, the first one, or yeah, the last one, really. We're all doing sequels and remakes and, uh, you know, all this stuff. I think it's really nice to have a film that, you know, maybe has similarities to other movies, but, like, is original. Like, you're not going to see a film that puts you on your head like Parasite, and I really appreciate that. That's why I saw the movie six times, because I was really in love with the fact that, like, at least I, and I could say most people have not seen a movie like Parasite ever. So I really think it does a lot for originality and the fact that it won so many awards, the fact that it's so highly acclaimed. I think that's just us telling Hollywood or and every filmmaker in the world that we want to go back to that original storytelling. You know, we're kind of yeah. tired, at least me, I'm tired of like, reboots and remakes and and redones and whatever they're fun sequels are fun prequels are fun but at some point we're all looking for that one movie that stands out that one story that reaches us and i think parasite does that amazingly and it gives us what we want i absolutely agree and i think you have a great point in terms of saying that there's a sense of originality loss i'll give you a big example if you compare directors from Let's say, let's do 20 years. If you compare directors from the 90s and directors from the 70s, you have a huge different playing field. You have a huge sense of what's different. Meanwhile, if you compare directors today to compare compare directors from the early 2000s, you are left with the same top three. And that is Tarantino, Scorsese, and Spielberg. There is no room. Like, it, it's just, I feel like we're not hailing directors as much as we used to. Like if you go from the fifties to, or not, not, let's not do that big, but if you go like from seventies to nineties, 20 years, which, you know, two thousands to 2020, 20 years. Yeah. There's a huge discrepancy in terms of directors. You can list, like, if you look at film lists, all of them would be different in terms of that decade. Those, those, the decades of the seventies, eighties and nineties. Whereas if you compare 2000s, 2010s, 2020, it's all the same. 
I agree with that. I think we've been praising the same directors for 20 years. And it's so nice that like, in terms of like film school, that someone like Bong Joo-ho is going to be introduced and now praised. We have someone else coming in. Yeah, but definitely. And I think the it, reason like people are stuck on, and Tarantino is a fantastic director. And I think yeah. the reason why the people go to Tarantino, why people go to Nolan, um, maybe not so much for Scuzzy because Nolan and Tarantino are also doing the original storytelling aspect, you know? And I think we can agree like Tarantino does, you know, sort of rewrites history in a way we think. Oh, yeah. And I'm not there. denying that they're not, they're, they're all no, fantastic but your, your directors. Point but point is that the reason we stick to them is because they do There's have, nothing else. There's, that's the only shred of originality we do get is from their films. Most of their films. And you have like these new pioneer, like they're like these new directors. I'm not going to say pioneers, but mm-hmm. um, these new directors that come in and they're good. They're good for a little bit, but they're not good enough. And I don't know if it's because studios are preventing these beautiful ideas from flourishing or if it's just because who we pick to direct these things are just people who know the technolo- technical aspects, you know, people who just know how to point and shoot the camera, not necessarily contain the qualities of a filmmaker. Yeah. So I wonder that a lot because obviously you have these big blockbuster movies that all look the same and yet they're all done by different people. And at the end of the day, what they really know, and, and I'm not saying that they're not enjoyable films, but in terms of its its effect in terms of cinema history, none of these films are groundbreaking unless they're talking about box office shattering. But in terms of directing and in terms of storytelling we're not getting any of that we're breaking you know blockbuster uh rates and stuff like that you know every new year it seems like we have a movie going through the roof and you know creating a new record but we're not we're not contributing to film history at all yeah that's that's i think that's the problem here and i think parasite sort of revives that in a way especially uh 2019 and i'm not saying there weren't I didn't see every movie in 2019, you know, but out of all the films, we could agree that Parasite is the most Parasite is one of the best. The only one I will still defend with Dying Breath is 1917. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying it was the only good movie, the only, but I am saying that, and again, I didn't see every 2019 film and I didn't, you know, branch out, but we have to all agree Parasite kind of revived that originality aspect of it. And I feel like that's why people loved it so much is because you don't see movies like that at all. It showed you that, hey, people can still have good ideas. Yeah. And what a brilliant idea Parasite was. Truly, truly brilliant. So, all right. What is your rating? Uh, Easily 9.6. Okay. I'll give it a 10 out of 10, 100. 9.6. 9.6. Just because when I mentioned 1917, I'd give 1917 a 9.7. You know, we're, we'll probably get into that another time, but I feel like I don't like it as much as you do. I thought it was a great film, but it's nothing. I think it's because of the directing. Because I'm like, that's what it like is. drooling over the directing of it. Exactly. Like Parasite, I, Parasite carries it all the way to a 9.6 because of its story. It's a fantastic story, but but I'll say that 1917 has that one point because it appeals to the director in me. So that's why it just oh, gets no, one it point was, ahead. It was but, shot 
incredibly. I don't know how they did that. Um, but I think with 1917, I wasn't too impressed with the actual story itself. And that's why I would grade it lower to where like the directing. That's fair. Kills. Ab- absolutely kills. So I could see where yeah. you're coming from with the scaling. So, all right. You heard it from us. Nine point. You said six out of 10 from Stephanie and a 10 out of 10 from me. Um, well, wait, what? I gave something a 9.8 recently. What was it? In, in, I gave something a 9.8. Yeah, I thought I gave one. You gave a movie a 10. What movie did you give a 10 recently? Oh, let me think. Uh, it wasn't. I gave, I remember I gave Purple Noon not a 10, but a 9 point something. Um, I think it might have been Hunters. I oh, think yeah. I gave Hunters a 9 point. I gave, I gave Hunters the show a 10. Okay. Yeah. Okay, no, now my, my now my judging is fair. Maybe I'll give Parasite, you know what, 9.7. I think I could say it's tied Woo! because it brings the writing aspect in <laughs> 1917. You already got my review for 1917, guys. It's, it is 9.7. Eventually, so, we'll review that. that. Eventually, we'll have to. Eventually, because I got a lot to say about it. Of course, of course. But thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed the review that I have received nonstop comments about. Um, so hope you enjoyed it. Next time, what are we going to be talking about, Savannah? It's going to be your pick. We're talking about The Lobster, which is on Netflix mm. right now. It's a strange film, but it's worth the watch. Lorgo, Yorgos Lothanimos. Which he's a great, great director. Um, we mm-hmm. actually have, before we go, a little shout out to make right staff yeah because we're gonna be fun fact if you donate five dollars or more to our patreon you get a shout out at the every episode so thank you james thank you number one fan <laughs> thank you james and your you. <laughs> Woo. all right so, guys yeah, thank you so much and if you're like patreon i would like to hear my name in every episode link is down below whether you're on academic media or whether you well if you're on academic media link is above if you are on youtube Link is below. So do what you will with that or just share. Just share to it's a friend. Free. Be like, I like Parasite. Check out what these what these two broads have to say about it. You're not a broad, Savannah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, just share. Um, even shout us out on Twitter. We like Twitter. We're starting to get into Twitter. So um, Twitter's been just very good I to mean, us. I, we we should probably shout out everyone that's been supportive because we had a few comments on Twitter. So thank you guys for that. We really, really appreciate all your supportive comments a lot. Yes, please. We love movies and all we want to do is to be able to talk about them. So the more you support us, the more it's able to give us a career out of this. And, you know, times are tough. So support your support your local critics. Your lo- And may we add female critics. Yes. Not a lot of them in the game. Get us in there, guys. Yeah. Get us in there. I mean, we'll get there on our own, but you do realize, like, we're good. We know we're good. <laughs> but, like, just, you can always give us a little boost, a little boost to get us higher. That's all we need. Yeah. We like movies, so just, you know, movies. But <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening. Tune in next time when we talk about The Lobster. Bye. Bye. Bye.